0: Welcome to yet another episode, a special episode of this week in college viability. Hi, my name is Gary Stocker, and today I'm talking with Albi Salsa, who is from Raven Eye Consulting. And we're gonna we're gonna explore higher education from a kind of a focused area today. First of all, Albi, welcome. Thanks for making time to join me. Gary, thanks for having me. So, Albi, your organization, Raven Eye Consulting, and that's R-A-V-E-N. Provides both enrollment and retention solutions to your to your higher education clients. Talk a little bit about your company and the higher market niche you think you fall in.
1: Sure, yeah, thanks, Gary. Uh, and you know, first and foremost, before I jump in, I am uh, a fan of the show. I've been listening to your episodes. I like the. This week in college viability episodes, when you go through uh, all the data and the news, I was just listening yesterday and I like these special episodes too. So thanks for the work that you're doing. Well,
0: thank you very much. I appreciate those kind words.
1: Yeah, man, for sure. So yeah, Rave and I, um, we're a a boutique higher ed enrollment management consulting group. Um, And what we do is we partner directly with colleges and universities to help them accelerate their paths to enrollment gains. Um, I started the company uh, two and a half years ago um, because I saw a big need in the market. And frankly, the what I observed was that the marketing and enrollment consulting space had become sort of like the OPM market, um, really big contracts. Um, what I perceived as colleges not really getting the bang for their buck in most cases when they were partnering with consulting groups. Um, and I felt like there was a need for an alternative to those to those options that they had, um, so I commit to being super flexible and adaptable to our clients' needs, creating uh, client-friendly contracts and terms, and really accelerating their path to, to results. Um, you know, I've seen the the templated readouts that some of these leading higher ed consulting companies provide, um, and when I read through them, I, I get frustrated because I feel like they're doing their clients a disservice by um, just kind of taking this templated approach. And I think that some of this work that they're doing is really solid, which is, you know, that's the only way that you can become a larger company is if you're doing good work. But I also think that some of the work is kind of become canned and vanilla, frankly. So we we offer a set, uh, you know, like I said, an alternative and a set of marketing, enrollment, and student success capabilities to our clients, um, ranging from operational assessments to staff training to um, staff recruitment. <clears throat> We've worked with uh, large name brand institutions to smaller um, regional for profit brands, um, large community college uh, networks for your privates, for your public. So we've worked in every. You asked about kind of what segment or what niche we're in. Uh, we we've worked with institutions from all different uh, segments of of the industry. Um, each segment, as you know, has its unique set of needs, and each client inside of those segments has their their unique sets of needs, and we we pride ourselves on being able to provide personalized uh, value. So as I mentioned before, we, you know, we partner directly with colleges and universities, but we also have developed um, quite a bit of successful strategic partnerships with other service providers. We partner with uh, marketing consulting companies. We partner with uh, call center companies to um, provide package solutions to our, to our clients. And in terms of me and my background um, I've, I've led enrollment operations for service providers, uh, like Inside Track, I've led enrollment strategy and solution delivery at Blackboard. Um, I've also worked on uh, within a university administration. I have ran enrollment operations for Braman University. I kind of set that whole thing up prior before before they uh, got acquired by UMass Global. So I've been on both sides of the house and really, simply put, what I do is I my my sweet spot is I set up and I and I fix enrollment operations.
0: So it's February 2024. And there's probably more than one elephant in the room. Let's talk about the most recent elephant in the room in higher education. And I'll be that's the faster delays. What are you hearing from your clients about the impact of those delays? And what are you sharing with those same clients about how to work your way through that?
1: Yeah, well, it, it's interesting that you asked because um, I actually just made a post about this on LinkedIn this morning. Some recent news that, did you see that the DOE announced the uh, they're throwing $50 million at this problem to set up a concierge service and to put some uh, boots on the ground to help under-resourced companies. I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyhow, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm seeing and hearing the same thing that you're probably seeing on social and and in particular on, on LinkedIn. Clients are anxiously awaiting um, the FAFSA info, as we all know by now, or if you don't know and you're listening, uh, the DOE announced that. Uh, the information that will be provided to colleges and universities has been delayed to March 15th from previously the date was January 31st which was already a delay so um what i'm what i'm seeing and observing is a uh, a scramble and some anxiety some you know really kind of contemplating a couple of things around like can should we push our deposit deadline back some institutions are doing that already and but really how can we communicate with families and i think that you know the what i'm seeing gary is like this is just Bringing to the surface, um, and it's really more of a microcosm of a larger issue that I see within uh, the four-year private sector with recruitment. And you're not, and, and it's around communication. You know, you're not going to change anyone's mind with an email. You know, and uh-huh. so much of what I what I observe is like, hey, can, what emails can we send out, and how can we set up an FAQ? And it's, so much of it is like knowledge based. So like, what what um, pieces of uh, information can we share out? And, uh, and obviously that's important. People need to get their questions answered, but what's missing. And I think what's missing in general with recruitment in the four-year sector is like this personalized outreach. And even more detailed than that, personalized outreach via the phone and actually having personalized conversations with parents and prospective students. And here's the thing. I think that there's a, there's a concern about outreaching to your, your families if you don't have all the answers. And that's okay. I think the fact that you're actually taking the time to call. And people hear your tone of voice and your genuine concern, uh, will reinforce their commitment to maybe attend your institution. And even I saw um, RNL, somebody from speaking of a larger consulting firm, um, posted you know around like the you, you've seen all this data. Niche puts it out, RNL puts it out, and they survey their families around like who is the most influential person in terms of making your decision when you choose to attend yeah. school for a traditional age college student. And it's like parent number one. Admissions rep number two, right? Uh So if you're an admissions rep, why not call and talk to the parent and to the students? It seems so logical to me, right? So, but what, what we hear is we hear objections all the time around phone, you know, it's like, hey, there's, the list is too large, we don't have enough resources. Well, you know what? Okay, so if the list is too large, then why don't we segment that list down and figure out who you want to call? Get a smaller list. It's it's simple to me, right? Or or we don't have the technology to do it, and we'll let, it, let us help you figure out from a long term investment perspective how to set that up. Um, and and finally, you know, the the other thing that we hear a lot is kids don't want to talk on the phone these days; we need to be able to talk need the text. And that's, hey, look, I get it. I have a college age uh, college bound uh, daughter who's going to college this coming fall, and I get it. I know that kids aren't using the phone the way that maybe you and I do, but the parents are. So um, I guess this kind of Elephant in the room, sure, but it's just really bringing to the surface some, I think, some core uh, challenges from a cultural and a uh, operational perspective in the four-year private sector.
0: Well, let me just throw a Gary Stalker thought out there, Albie. And if you have a on it, great. And if you don't uh, want to come in, that's fine as well. But I'm, I'm thinking about this FAFSA situation. And this is beyond what I focus on, so I'm a little hesitant to do too much with it. Uh-huh. But FAFSA data has been around for a while, right? and all colleges have the FAFSA data from their student populations from the last some number of years, is it reasonable to to operate this year for the colleges that want to go back and look at that historical FAFSA data under the premise that their student population is going to be pretty similar from year to year, both demographic and financial, and use historical data to offer financial aid for 2024 if for no other reason than to, than to get a jump on their competitors And even maybe end some of the anxiety from some of the students and their families on getting that financial aid so they can make an admissions decision.
1: Yeah, I don't know. And, you know, uh, like you, I'm a little over my skis with with those sorts of details related to um, awarding strategies. But um, I I, I would ask, like, how would you do that for an incoming class? Would you just create personas and and similar profiles with other students and then award based on that? Is that what you're thinking? Something like that, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that somebody out there is already thinking about ways to put that together, but I'm not sure.
0: Okay. Okay. And I, I've, I've talked to some folks about that. I think I posted something similar this morning on social. Just just my two cents of that worth the idea on the whole FAFSA mess. So let's change the, the topic a little bit and, and go back to Economics 101. Sure. For let's a long, do it. Long time, obviously, since I've taken Econ 101. I don't know about you. And the supply and demand and the way it relates to higher education. And and I make this statement often to my podcast guests and others. And it goes something like the enrollment and finance challenges that we have in higher ed are based on the law of supply and demand. And I further contend that there are not many, if any, programmatic changes that colleges can make that would generate materially significant New revenue. Now, this is your chance. I'll be to say, Gary, you're
1: nuts, or <laughs> Gary, you're, or Gary, you're right. Take it either way. I'm good. Uh, well, you might not be wrong. I, I'm not sure. I think I think that um, what you're highlighting is that. Well, it, if the challenge, I think, with what you said is, if you're a university leader and you hear that, I, I wouldn't want to the message to be um, to kind of create paralysis. Well, there's nothing we can do. But so I I do think that um, now more than ever, colleges and universities should be undertaking a regular review of their program offerings. And I think that I think about this from the perspective of product fit and a lot of what um, the way that I view um, and the way that I talk to uh, my clients is I view this as running a business, right? So if you think about it from the perspective of a product fit, how do your products or your, your, in this case, your programs fit within the market needs? And not only from the perspective of the major, but modality, you know, and are you really leaning leaning into um, micro-credentials or not, for example? And are you diversifying your student base and ultimately your revenue streams or not? And, and And if we talk about the four-year private sector again, and I feel like, you know, that's a good sector to stay on since we're talking about FAFSA. Um, if you are an institution that is hanging your hat on the traditional market, and you know, I know you talk about the eight year trend a lot in your app, you show the eight year trend and whatnot. I guess maybe yeah. it's nine year trend now. But if you're if you're one of these institutions that has the eight year trend going down on enrollments, and you um, are not really leaning into the adult market, like, now might be the time to identify if there's an opportunity to capture some of that market in your local community in the adult market and, and specifically with potentially micro credentials. I'll come back to that because um, if you look at like Western governors, um, I want to say that the president shared last year that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's 40% of their enrollments now come from employer partnerships. Oh, right? And there's, there's a reason why the guilds of the world, the, what guild has done so well. And You know, we are uh, at Rave and I, we just, uh, I'm really excited about this recent partnership. We just started in Q4 and we're actively working on it now. We're helping one of our clients to build out their employer B2B partnership strategy and framework to go develop tuition reimbursement partnerships and to develop corporate trainings and extended education opportunities for the adult market in their regional market. So I think those are the sorts of things that I think are really, really important. That I think maybe contradict a little bit of what you're saying, but I don't think that you're totally you're totally wrong. Yeah,
0: and and you make a good point on the paralysis piece. And and yes, I do that with intent. And and one of the, mm-hmm. one of the main reasons I view my role is to lovingly but seriously, and sometimes with tongue in cheek, help college leaders think beyond that private box. And if it involves me being a little sharp, like we talked about earlier, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: taking an attitude, which, which I know I do with intent, I think <laughs> that's my role. And I, you, you've got to know, I don't think you and I have talked about this, that I have my own list. And it's 200 plus strong of private colleges that I don't think are going to make it. Now, I'm mm. not ever, 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 ever going to share that list with anybody, but I use it for my own purposes. And if I'm right, let's go. On, let's go back for a second. What if I'm wrong? And there's never ever again another college closure for the next five or ten years. All right. All right, I'm wrong. It's not a likely scenario, but I'm wrong. But here I think is a more important question. And again, I will never ever identify an individual college and say Albi Abi Salsa University is gonna close. Never gonna do it. But here is the big question. I'll be what if I'm right? What if I'm right and we're looking at an increasing rate of private college closures and public college consolidations that goes even beyond what I can envision or you can envision or anybody else can envision. What happens then?
1: Yeah, I don't know. And I, I would actually say, I, well, let me ask you a question. Why, um, why are you not sharing that that list?
0: I'm trying to argue both sides just for the sake of the discussion. Um, I yeah. think I'm right. I think there will continue to be a higher rate of closures and it, and it worries me. How is it going to adjust? And if I'm wrong, well, then I provided some content, some thought for folks to help make me wrong, and I'm okay with that. I don't think it's a likely scenario, but I, I worry that if I'm right, then we've got more issues than anybody can address with any
1: certainty I at think, all. I think about the parents. I think about the parents. Uh, maybe it's just because my my daughter's going away to school, and I'm I'm that persona right now. I'm living it. And yeah, I have, uh, it's interesting that, you know, my friends and cousins and whatnot, they all have kids who are about the same age as my daughter. Right. So they know that I work in higher ed. So they're all hitting me up and asking me questions for the first questions were around, you know, what's up with the fast, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> <laughs> but, um, I did send the link to um, one, a webinar. I think you have a, um, a webinar you're hosting. You gave various time slots on your website. I signed up for one of them. I'm not sure yeah. if you saw that, but um, I forwarded that link to a buddy of mine because his daughter is considering a variety of private schools. Um, and I think that, you know, the the work that you're doing is so valuable for that persona, for the families and for the kids. Yeah. So I, I would so. say there's there's an argument to be made that you know while while publishing that it wouldn't be great for the institutions, and I could see why, and I and I I'm totally empathetic to that because a lot of my colleagues are running a, you know, universities and colleges. But from the perspective of what's best, ultimately we should be of service to the students, right? And what is best for the students, and it might be releasing the list. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a fascinating time, and, and and I hope to contribute some to it, something to it in a positive sense. But I know most of my content is, guys, be careful,
1: be yeah. careful.
0: It's a mess out there. Yeah. And i want to go just just to one last question, I'll be And I want to talk about graduation rates, and uh, I'll talk about the 2024 College Viability App. It's about ready to go out the door. And I was altering back and forth between making a free version of the app for enrollment for the last eight years, available to anybody or a free year of the four-year graduation rates, eight years worth of data for all the private colleges and eventually all the public colleges. Mm -hmm. And I decided to go with the graduation rate one. And here's why. Um, The enrollment one is important, but it's an indirect measure of a college's health. It all is associated with tuition tuition, fees and revenue. But we have, I think it's more than 50% of all public and private colleges graduate less than half of their students in four years that scares the bejeebers out of me. What about you?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, when I got, I cut my teeth in higher ed working in um, on student retention initiatives. Are you familiar with the organization called inside track? Uh, uh, I think so. Yeah. I started yeah. with them. Yeah. So, uh, and we were back then, we were primarily doing student retention work, but yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It, I think we all, have seen the data, but yet when it's time to make decisions, I don't see us acting in a way that is informed by the data. And the data is, says that it, it costs a lot more money to go recruit a new student than it does to retain one. Right. Um, yeah, right. But yet every project we get pulled into, it's even though I have a background in, in retention and, and my colleagues do too, we get pulled into uh, funnel management. Right. And I, and I think it's because there's more of a, direct correlation and, and, um, attribution between activities and, and, performance. And, but so anyway, I, with, with student, yeah, it does concern me. And I think that if what I try to guide my clients to is like, let's get really focused on like a, a phase of the student journey. Cause when you think about graduation, it seems pretty overwhelming graduation yeah. rates. It's like, okay, this is a six year measure, but if you can get focused around like how, how can you help your students have a really strong start? Right. And having a strong start is so important because what it does is it helps you have a strong first semester and ultimately strong first year. And then you come back for your second year and all of the data shows that now I'm talking about the traditional enrollment cycle again, fall to fall retention. If you can get somebody to year, if you can get somebody to year two, the likelihood of them graduating, it's like the big cliff is between one year year one and year two. And the big and, and the big reason behind the cliff, um, all the qualitative information I've looked at says it has to do with those first couple months. Right. So, and when you start unpacking, like, okay, from the moment that somebody is um, doing their orientation and sort of like the moments before they arrive on campus or even an adult learner, right. Even an adult learner when it's virtual, what does that look like from a student experience perspective um, to help them build a sense of belonging and a community call it, let's call it community on campus. And how are we, um, Removing unnecessary friction points in that in that phase of the journey. So I think if you get really like really really laser focused on this idea of how do you help people have a strong start, you're going to start seeing um, big gains from year one to year two, and ultimately it flows slows down flows down to graduation.
0: And then just a quick follow up to that, and then I'll wrap this up is do you think that graduation rates? Will become will increasingly become a selling point for colleges that do well, as opposed to those who don't graduate fifty percent or more.
1: Well, it should be. I mean, I, I would I would certainly hope so. I mean, here's the thing, Gary. I think that um, I think that institutions just in general need to really take a regular view and refresh of what their what their value propositions are and if you have a graduation rate that is high or significantly higher than your competition or than the national average you need to be promoting the heck out of that
0: yeah
1: Um, yeah for sure cool cool
0: well i am grateful for your time this afternoon Albi salsa who is the founder of raven eye consulting as r-a-v-e-n-i-e-y-e consulting and i'll provide a link on the show notes has been my guest I'll be thanks again for making time. I wish you continued, sex, continued success with Raven Eye.
1: Great. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate that. And, hey, thanks and, for having me. Really appreciate oh, the time.
0: Anytime. Good conversation. I appreciate it. And we'll be back soon with another edition of This Week in College Viability.
1: My name is Gary Stocker.